0: Okay, that's great. That's great. You know, uh, you, this question, you can either answer in about two words, or you can, if you start diving into it, discuss books and volumes of books to answer this question. The reason why I asked this question was because last week at Saturday service in the evening, one, uh, per, one preacher said, there are two questions that you have to answer. What does it mean to be born again? And the second question is... What does it mean to be sanctified? And if you cannot answer these two questions, you should examine yourself to see whether you are a Christian or not in the first place. Because Christians, we as Christians, need to know how to answer these questions. So, I want to continue on further. Last Tuesday, we spoke, Mark preached, on Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and through 16. And I want to continue from verse 17. But before we continue from 17, it says these words in 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and visible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And now here's what we will study tonight. Colossians chapter 1, verse 17 through 18. And he is before all things, and in him... All things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And in everything, he might be preeminent. Amen. Say amen together. The title tonight, Christ is in first place. Do you know where that... don't really want to call it a statue, but do you know where that landmark is? Brazil, right? Everybody knows. So I think it's called Christ the Redeemer, right? Yeah, there you go. He stands above the city and He looks. I think that's a wonderful picture. As we look at that picture, we can imagine that Christ stands above everything, above our life. He stands above, as we sang, He's above all powers, above all kings, above all rulers. He's above everything, right? Yet, even though He is above all things... He thought of you, and he thought of me when he went to Calvary. Amen? So let's look at this first verse, verse 17. And he is before all things. What does this mean, before all things? Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning... Let's continue. That's good, but not that one. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth in the beginning. In the very beginning, where were you? Well, we weren't around, right? We weren't here. But let's go further from Genesis. Let's go to John 1, 1 through 3. This is what I heard from here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. That's very important for us to remember that the Word, the Word was God. You see, in the beginning of all things, before everything came into existence, there was God. And God is the Father, God is the Son, God is the Holy Spirit. And both, all three of them united in Trinity. As we we're reading through Genesis, they said, let us go and make man in our image. Who are they talking with? With one another. And so they made and created man in our image out of their goodness. So in the beginning was God. In the beginning was the word. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 21. It says these words. Have you not heard? There's the song that they sing in the Russian service. I want to go to Isaiah chapter 40 verse 21. It says these words. 40, 21. It says. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Was it not told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is He who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretch out the heavens, who stretches out the heavens like a current and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. Have you not heard? Do you not know? Has it not been told to you from the beginning that God created all things? He knows all things. Before all things was the beginning, and now is God. In Job 38, I want to read this passage. Job 38, 1 through 5, it says these words. It's kind of hard to uh, just have one hand, but I'll do it. Job chapter 38, verses 1 through 5. This is one of my favorite passages in Scripture. Because God begins to question Job, and this is what he says, 38, 1 through 5. And the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dressed for action like a man, I will question you and you will make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding." Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? You see, God is questioning Job. Job, up to this point, he and his friends are having a dialogue. Who's right? Who's wrong? Why is Job righteous? Why is he not righteous? So on and so forth. And then Job ultimately says, If only I could stand before God with my case and present to him my case and question him. And then God speaks to Job. And he says the words, Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? He says, dress yourself for action like a man. I'll question you. And after this, from 38 through 39, I believe through 40, God, for three chapters, questions Job. And he asks him, Were you there from the beginning? Were you there when I created the earth? Were you there when the goat was born in the mountains? Were you there when the birds were asking for the food? Were you there when I stretched out the landmarks and put the lines? Were you there? And he questions Job, line after line. And at the end of it all, Job just covers his mouth and says, What can I say? What can I say if you all of a sudden stood in the presence of God You know, some of us think we're so bold, we know absolutely everything, only to realize we know absolutely nothing. That's the reality of it all. But when we come to God, God knowing all things, he questions Job, Job just ends up praising him and thanking him, saying, God, you know all things, you are in control, you are above all, I worship you. I'm paraphrasing what Job did with his life, he worshiped in awe before God. Because God questioned him. Surely some of us know something, right? The more we research something, recently we were speaking on Sunday with our family around the table in the evening for Father's Day, and we were speaking about, I believe it was uh, uh, Washington Carver. Was it Washington Carver who f- who took the peanut, right? History, history, people. Washington Carver, right? The peanut. He was a Christian scientist, and he prayed. He was a devout Christian. And he said, uh, Lord, I want to I know you. And God began to reveal to him the peanut. The peanut at that time nobody cared for. Nobody cared about the peanut at all. It was irrelevant. It was a useless nut that cleaned the soil. Yet this man, God began to open up to him the peanut, and he found 40 different uses for this peanut. Can you imagine? God didn't just create that for nothing. God didn't create you and I for nothing. God didn't create this world for nothing or out of vain. God didn't speak us into existence just for vanity. God has a purpose for each and every single one of us. It says in Psalm chapter 139, Psalm 139. If you have a, a Bible, please use it to study. But Psalm 139 verse 5. David says these words. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hands upon me. Verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, it is high, I cannot attain it. And then let's go further to verse 13, he says these words, For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, yet as they were not, as, as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O oh God. How vast is the sum of them. Before you were made, before you came to existence, God saw you. God knew you. In fact, God knit you in the womb of your mother, where you were. There was for no reason, for there was no purpose. There was a reason and a purpose why God did that. Just as David says, all of us look at this passage and say, you know what, that is true. I do have meaning. I do have a purpose. I wasn't just made from some sort of cesspool of mud by random chance. How horrible is that thinking? if we were just all a random byproduct of randomness and chance, what's the point of us even being here? What's the point of us caring? What's the point of us conversing or talking? What's the point about saving someone else's life? What's the point of it all? But you see, on the contrary, God created us, made us, gave us a reason and the purpose. And before all things, before all things, God knows all of this. Max started off the service today reading John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, 1. And he mentions also in the beginning. God bore witness. Apostles bore witness before all things. Jesus Christ, he is before all things. He was in the beginning when he created After he created, he came, he became, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He knows all things. He is the creator of the universe. It says that he upholds the universe by the word of his power in the book of Hebrews. I want you to remember this one thing. Because he was before all things, because he is the beginning before all things, he knows you. God is very personal. God made you and created you for a reason. For a purpose, and God will never forget about the one he created. Amen? Amen. Just Let's say amen. amen. Amen? Amen. That means you have a purpose and a reason for this life. Do I know your reason and purpose? Specific will, I don't know. But the reason and purpose for all of us to be here is to worship and praise God for who he is and for what he's done. Two, get to know our creator and our maker. Not only is He before all things, but as it says, He holds all things together. He holds all things together. And in Him, all things hold together. Does anyone find comfort and hope in that verse? Say amen if you do. You know what? Amen here. Because the older we get, the more we realize that We can't control life. Have you ever met a control freak? Yes or no? There are those people. Have you ever met a person that is such a control maniac that they honestly start victimizing those people around them? Hey, there are those two. It's very sad. But there are those. And the minute they can't control things, they leave. Because they lost control. we read this passage right here, God holds all things together. So, if we think everything's falling apart, if we begin to think life is just horrible, remember this. In Him, all things hold together. Amen. My sister recently, she uh, she said that her grand uh, grandpa died from her husband's side and they were calling nursing, not nursing homes, but the funeral homes saying, hey, we really need to bury our grandpa. We need to. He died. He's 92. We need to find a, a place for him. And they said, sorry, we're really booked up. So after some you know, negotiating and talking, going back and forth, they finally found a place. But that director of the funeral home told my sister this. She said, We've, our funerals right now are consisted of mostly young people. And there's two leading issues of death for the young people. Let's guess what it is. What is it? Drugs, yes. Overdose. And what's the second one? Suicide. You said it yourself. These two things are the leading causes of death in the States. It's horrible. Why? Well, just open up to the computer, open up the news and what are you going to see? Anxiety all around, just despair. All you'll see is shooting, mass shooting, mass shooting, killing, killing, mass shooting. Oh no, we're going to drown. There's going to be an earthquake. We're all dead. You name it, you just go on the list. If you sit there and you just read or watch or whatever you do for hours upon hours every day, you're going to come to believe that there's no hope. There's no way out. I'm stuck in a rut and there's no one to come and rescue me. That's what the person will begin to think. And so you can imagine a person who's on this 24-7 begins to lose the sight of, of that Jesus Christ is in absolute control and even though it may seem like there are sometimes it's not the case I'll tell you one thing it is the case he is beginning he is before all things and in him all things hold together and that means not only do we need to we don't even need to Worry. Honestly, it's not our job to worry about this world or the wars or, or famines in Asia or, or the earthquakes or whatever. What is our assignment and our zone of responsibility? We can't save that side of the world. We can't save saving kids in Africa to a certain degree. Honestly, we can't. But we, we can worship Christ here. And if He desires to use you or me to go save Africa, so be it. Praise God for that. But God placed us here for a reason, to remember and remind that because he holds all things together, he is able to hold that too. Not only at the world scale or the large scale, you personally. God is able to hold your life in his control. Amen? So if you think your personal life is out of control, Remember this. Christ is in control. Christ is able to hold you together. Amen. There's comfort in that. Deuteronomy 10.20, it says, And you shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. Hold fast to God. Here's a question. Are you holding fast to him? He holds all things. He's able to hold you Are you holding on to him? Hebrews 7.24, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever speaking about Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ holds the priesthood continually, that means you are able to go to him for prayer. When you go to Jesus Christ in prayer, he hears you because it is the priests who heard the prayers. It is the priests who heard the intercession. It is the priests who responded. And because Jesus holds this priesthood permanently, because he continues and he lives forever, you're always able to go to him. And because he lives forever, that means one day we too shall live with him. amen amen he holds all things together let's move on to the next section of the verse in Colossians and he is the head of the body the church what body what body the church the church you and I all of us together here we're part of a church that's the body of Jesus Christ it's living it's active it's not dead the church is very much alive. Amen? I want to open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to read from verse 12. So 1 Corinthians twelve, twelve, And uh, we'll read it together out loud. It'll be a little bit, but hey, God's Word teaches us. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 12 through 7. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Can you say one body? One body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many the foot should say if the foot should say because i am not a hand i do not belong to you the body that would not make any less a part of the body and if the ear should say because i am not an eye i do not belong to the body That would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And I'll stop there, we won't read further on. Verse 27, though, now you are the body of Christ and the individually members of it. Amen. When we look at this part of the body, what is the body for? What is the body of Jesus Christ for? What is the church for? Look, all of us are, we, there's many of us, but there's one body. Oftentimes we try to think of, oh, well, there's the hands, there's the feet, right? We are the feet, we are the hands of Jesus Christ. Let's talk about the body for a minute. What about the liver? What about the stomach? I mean, who wants to be the stomach? Who wants to be the large intestine? Who wants to be the spine? Who wants to be that organ in the body that is not seen? Anyone? One time I heard this analogy that those who pray on behalf of the church are the spine. You don't see them, but they hold things together. <laughs> Jesus Christ holds all things, but you understand the thought. Those who pray on behalf of others. You don't see them. You don't know them. But they're part of the body. What does the liver function? What's the function of the liver? Say it. Anyone remember? Remember? It's a filter. That's right. Kidneys. We can go on and on about the body. But you know when scripture says that we are supposed to take care of one another, we are supposed to help one another, and we are never supposed to say, hey, I don't need you, or you don't need me. At the end of the day, each one of us here needs one another. Why? Well, because we're one body. Let's look at a simple example. If you are running and you stub your toe, your toe hurts, what do you do? You limp. You say, ouch. You say, my toe, what a small insignificant piece of my body. But man, does that make the whole body hurt. A sliver in your finger, underneath your fingernail, whatever it may be. Super glue in your eye. Oh no, chaos. This is what it is. Your whole body goes into panic because the body hurts. One part of it hurts. Scripture teaches that the seeing eye and the hearing ear, the Lord has made them both. Amen. Let's go to Ephesians. You see, 1 Corinthians is not the only part that speaks about the body. It is also Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. I want to read this passage. 4, 1 through 16, it says these words. I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, which all humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The grace is given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Verse 9. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who has also ascended far above the heavens. That he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the statute of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head and to Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds up itself in love. What is the purpose of the body? It's not just to help one another, it's not just to take care of one another, but it is for the building up of the body of Christ. It is for the growing up in every way into the head, into Christ. You see, the church here, why we gather here together is not just for fellowship, which is important. It's not just to see each other, which is important. God designed it this way. It's so that we can build each other up. It's so that we can build itself up in love. You see, each part here, you and I, each member, were needed for the building up for that growing, for that maturing. Amen? I have a three-year-old daughter, and she says, I never want to grow up. She always says, I never want to grow up. I want to play all day. So, said, well, you can grow up being an adult and play a little bit. She says, no, I want to stay three forever. Say, no, 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 you're going to grow up. Like all of us, as Christians, we all have to mature in Christ. We come to church not for wor- not just for worship not just for the fellowship but for the building up here's a question for you when you come to church do you feel that you are getting built up are you building someone else up are you able to be used as a member within the body of Christ as an encouragement are you able to be used within the body of Christ as someone who hears and listens, prays on behalf of someone. Here's a question for you. Where are you in the body of Christ? Are you in the body or not? Are you a benefit to those around you? Or are you not a benefit? Examine yourself and ask the question, if Christ, Jesus Christ, is the head of the body, which he is. He is the head of the body. He is the church. I am a Christian. I am to be in his body. Where am I in that body of Christ? Am I the mouth? Am I speaking? Am I listening? Am I seeing the things around me that need to be done? Am I working with my hands to serve and benefit the church? Are my feet walking and spreading the good news of Jesus Christ? Or am I at church at the prayer services, praying on behalf of those who can't be here? Where are you within the body of Jesus Christ? You see, when each and every single one of us look at our bodies, right, each cell is here for a reason and a purpose. God didn't create you just so that you can live for yourself or live in vain. God created you so that he can use you for his glory, so that you can grow and mature and Jesus Christ and when you do that you are in the body of Christ examine your life and ask where am I in the body let's keep further let's go further not only is he the head as it says and he is the head of the body the church but he is the beginning the firstborn from the dead as we read In John chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 and 3, we quoted that. It also says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. I want you to remember this very important thing, that Jesus Christ became flesh. He became like you, and he became like me. He took on this thing called the body, the flesh. He had a heart. He had lungs. He had feet. He had absolutely everything, the same that I have, you have he had to become like you and like me in order to come and fulfill the will of god and go to calvary he became flesh in first john chapter 4 verse 2 it says by this you know the spirit of god every spirit that confesses that jesus christ has come in the flesh is from god Let's go further. Romans 8.3 For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin He condemned sin in the flesh. Colossians 1.22 He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. Jesus Christ became flesh. As it says in John chapter 1, verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. When you read about this, and you look back to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, it says, In the beginning was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus Christ was the living Word. He lived. In the beginning, he created the universe. He upheld the universe by the word of his power. And then that living word, that word of God, took on flesh and came down to earth. And that's why there's Christmas. We celebrate Christ, we remember Christ, and we have all these Christmas songs about how Jesus Christ came, he was born, he was in the manger, Mary was a virgin, she gave birth to a son, his name was Christ, and his name is to be the counselor, the prince of peace, the mighty God. We remember all these things. Sometimes the significance of it, we don't understand fully. We don't understand the depth and the measure that God had in order for him to come down to save us. Remember in scripture where it says that Jesus Christ was a stumbling block to the Jews and he was what to the Greeks? Do you remember the word? Foolishness. He was foolishness. Do you know why he was foolishness to the Greeks? First of all, to the Jews because they expected a different kind of Messiah. They didn't expect the Messiah to come and die for everyone? To save those Gentiles? No way. Jews don't like Gentiles. But why to the Greeks? Because in the Greeks' belief in their... They have all these different gods, right? They believed that... The Greek mythology believed that a god would never come down and become flesh to save people. And so when the apostle Paul sat there and he spoke to the Greeks, I'm here to present to you this God, his name is unknown, you don't know of him. But he became flesh, he came down, he died and he resurrected on the third day. Most of the Greeks said, nope, we can't accept that kind of a God. Nope, what kind of a God would come down and take this immoral flesh? That was the argument. Some stayed and continued to listen. And so this argument still is the same. When when we read the scripture here and when Max read, what did he read about? John saying, I was a witness from the beginning to Jesus Christ. I saw him walking. I saw him breathing. I saw all that. I was witnesses to that. And you can't take it away from me. I'm paraphrasing. And so he penned to the churches, and he wrote, I know what I saw, I know what I witnessed, I know who I walked with, his name is Jesus Christ, he was in the flesh, he was hungry like we were. And he wept, and I saw him weeping when he was saddened, and he laughed with us, and he, and he experienced everything we experienced. But at the same time, He was God. He healed people of their sin. And He controlled the weather. And He did all these miracles. And the blind were able to see. And the deaf were able to hear. And the dead were resurrected. The apostles saw this and they're witnesses to this fact. They saw, we know Christ. We saw Him. We are witnesses to it. And they were so certain and sure of Jesus Christ that they went to their death. In continuation to witnessing, they say, we won't deny it. We can't. I won't read that whole passage, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 49. I want you to read that at home. But on this passage, Apostle Paul makes the argument, Jesus Christ came. He was in the flesh. He died. He rose on the third day, and he appeared to Paul and to Peter No, not to Paul. He appeared to Peter, and to James, and to John, then to the other apostles, and then 500 other witnesses saw him. People saw Christ. They can't deny that fact. Because he was the firstborn to rise from the dead, all those who believe in him shall also rise. Amen? Because he came in the flesh, he died, he was blameless, he was perfect, he never sinned, Okay? When we read through scripture, and I want to remind you this, this is why it's so important. The law, right here, is a tutor. It teaches us. It showed us what sin is. It showed us what wrongdoing is. But every single person in the Old Testament, and even now in the New Testament, we fail. We fall short of that all the time. We've all sinned some way, shape, or form. Yet, the only one who's never sinned was Jesus Christ. And because he was in the flesh, he became that perfect sacrifice, that Lamb of God who died on Calvary. And when he died, God the Father took that sacrifice. He said, okay, this is perfect blood. And by that blood, you and I are cleansed. We are redeemed, meaning we are bought back. We were bought back from that slave market of sin. We were purchased. We were cleansed. We were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, by the blood of Christ. Because he is blameless, holy, and perfect, God accepted that sacrifice on behalf of you and of me. I hope you understand this. This means that we are saved by grace, not by works that no man can boast. If each and every single person was able to fulfill the law that was given by Moses from God, then Christ died in vain. That's what it teaches in Scripture. But because you and I can never obtain salvation through the law, because you and I can never do that, what God gave through the law, he had to send his son in order to make way for you and I to be saved. Amen? Please understand this. Once we understand this, it's not just a concept or a theory. It's a real thing. Once you understand this, that we're saved, not by what we do, but by what Christ did. You'll understand that there's nothing you and I can do. It's, it's on all in Christ. So please, when you come home, I want you to read 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 49. For the sake of time, we won't go through it. But that speaks of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that resurrection is hope for you and I. Because he lives, we shall live. Because he lives forever, we too shall live forever. Because he is the firstborn from the dead, he resurrected on the third day. Because he was raised from dead, all those who put their trust and their hope and their faith in him shall also rise with him. Shall live with him. Amen? Amen. There's hope. So, next time you look through the news, yes, it's sad. Next time you see, yes, it's totally horrible what's going on. But there's hope. There's hope for those who are in Jesus Christ. Preeminent in everything. As it says, that in everything he might be preeminent. He is above all things, all powers, all forces, all rulers, all authorities. And this, it's a fact, it's not just an opinion. How is it that there are over 2 billion people in this world who believe in Jesus Christ and call upon his name? You may not even meet this person, but you may find someone from Iran or China or India or South America or something. You're sitting on the airplane next to a believer that you never met in your life, and yet for some reason, your thoughts and your thinking and your speech is exactly the same as theirs. Have you ever met that? You say, whoa. Whoa. Who are you? And they said, well, you're a Christian. Yeah, you're a Christian. We know each other. And so all of a sudden, you start con- conversing on Scripture. Hey, how is it that we have the same thinking? I'm not talking about differences in, in certain uh, denominations. I'm talking about Scripture. Ultimately, everyone comes to Scripture to find the source. He is the source of all things. It's like, wait a minute. Well, I didn't just make it up. That person's a believer just like me. I remember I went to a park a couple days, uh, weeks ago, and uh, I took my kids, it was, it was uh, I took my kids, and uh, there was four of them that I took. And I'm at the park, I was tired, I sat down by the post while the kids are playing, and there was another guy about my age, I think he had two or three kids too, and he was sitting on the other side too. I looked at him and said, hi. He said, hi. We start conversing. And then I said, I called my names, my kids' names. And he looks at me, he's like, you're a Christian. I said, yes, I am. He's like, hey, me too. I said, oh, that's great. You know, and so we, we you know, all of a sudden, we're a bit, uh, we started conversing even more, right? And, and one of his kids runs up, and by then... My kids and his kids were already playing together. And so one of his kids runs up to his dad. That kid must have been five years old and said, Papa, Papa, I really like those boys. They're Christian like we are. What is it that even they understand? Jesus Christ is above absolutely everything. He's preeminent. Is he above your life? Ask yourself the question. Is he above your thinking? Is he first in your thoughts? Is he first in your life? Is he first when you lie down and when you rise up? Do you think of him? You may think, well, this is so horrible. What what a boring life it is to be a Christian, to just... Really? That? So that Christ can be above all, above all things in your life? Isn't, isn't that boring? I'll tell you something. No, it's not. You have a hobby, ask Christ to be part of it. If you have a job, which you should, ask Christ to be part of it. You go to school, ask Christ to be part of it. You're driving a car, ask Christ. To be part of that. You're establishing a relationship. Ask Christ to be there too. If you want to mend the relationship. Ask Christ. To come and help with that as well. If you want a career or a future or anything. Go to Christ. Put him first. Say Lord. I want you. In everything of my life. So examine your life with these questions. Is Jesus before all things in your life? Is Jesus Christ holding your life? Is Jesus your head and are you in his body? Examine this. Is Jesus the beginning of your relationships, your schools, your personal life? Is he the beginning in all of that? Is Jesus Christ, the resurrected Lord, the firstborn from the dead in your life or are you still living for yourself? Is Jesus preeminent? Is he above all things in your life or is it still you that is above all things in your own life? Look at all these questions. Those are the two verses that we studied. And examine your life and ask, where are you? with the relationship with Jesus Christ. Where is he in your life? Examine if Christ is not part of your life. Ask him. Invite him. Say, Lord, please, I can't do life on my own. I can't hold anything together. I, I can't hold nothing. You hold the universe. You can hold me too. He is able. Lord, I don't know where to go in the future. He knows the future. He knows you when he created you. He is above all things. He knows all things. If you don't know him, come before him. And he is able to be your Lord, your Savior. And ask him, invite him to your heart and your life. And if you do know him, continue to grow in him. Continue to mature in him. And to that which is the head of Jesus Christ. And may he lead you and guide you. Let's stand for prayer. Father.